friends, welcome back, Immortal X friends. We are here with our first ever, ever, able, our first ever roundtable um, podcast discussion uh, for House of X: Powers of Ten, uh, the Jonathan Hickman experience. Uh, if you were following along on our Instagram, we have been posting about this for quite a while, and we are excited to finally get uh, some of mine and Riley's ex friends together to discuss this. Riley, how are you feeling about today? I'm good, dude. This yeah, is fun. This I'm is glad fun. We're talking about this. This is a good time. Really excited to talk about it. So I'm going to let the rest of our um, hosts, our guest hosts, introduce themselves. Uh, one of them might be very familiar to you all, uh, but I'm going to let them talk about themselves, and then we'll we'll get going. So we'll go around this way, starting with what's up. Uh, I am Ethan. I have been doing this for what three, four months now. Uh, I have been indoctrinated into the X Men Krakoan group, which has been a great cool. intern. He's yeah, great. Ethan, it's our intern, and I'm I'm an unpaid intern. If anyone was wondering, I I get no salary for this, so that's fun. Over to Leslie. Yeah, we gotta we gotta start changing Ethan's Ethan's IRS form. Get him yeah. his get him his right right money. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, hi, I'm Leslie. I live here. <laughs> That's my wife and partner. I pay rent, and I am. She <laughs> might be taking Shit. Ethan's intern spot after today. <laughs> oh, I demand pay. So I work for free. Um, so I'm. You are. You are my Leslie today. is my wife. Oh. Yeah. I well yeah. Yeah, along with paying rent. Yeah. Yeah, we split it 60-40, I think. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. I live here sometimes when you guys don't live that, here. We don't need people <laughs> we don't to need people know that. Question. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, now it sounds worse. Yeah, that's, that's true. Should I go? My name is Riley. I also pay rent, but I don't pay rent here. At a, I pay rent at a different place. Yeah, you uh, live here sometimes, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I like reading comic books. Hi, I'm Cameron. Um, this is the first time I've ever been here, so I don't <laughs> care. Do you? Pay um, that's rent Willow. I I do pay rent, um, and I do pay for two kids and wife, and you know. But I've I've been enjoying X Men since the '90s, and um, you know, loving the old school cartoon and the movies and comics and everything else. So looking forward to this. So cool. does that does that lead us into our relations to X Men? No. no, you're good. Yeah, no, I think. No, that's, yeah, that's a good segue. <laughs> that is. <laughs> we love that transitions. Is a, that is a great place, I think, for us to start. Um, so, really excited. I know some of you, particularly Leslie and Riley, heard me talking about House of X for, for a very long time. Uh, I remember House of X had just come out right after Comic Con 2019. And Leslie and I, I think we went to a wedding right after, right? And I had the first issue. And. We were staying at a very nice Airbnb, and I think I read it like three times. And you kept asking, oh, did you bring more comics? And I was like, no, I'm just reading that. This one's enough. <laughs> this one is enough. So I remember reading that. Uh, very fond memories of going on walks in the morning and like recounting what I had just read. And so Leslie has been like secondhand Krakoan smoking for a while. And so now she finally got to, to take her first puff herself. But my, <laughs> but I was, I was really, I was really excited after I finally got Riley reading and that we finally got more people reading this with us. And so we've been doing this book club thing for a while. 
um, that so many people have been doing either online or some people who weren't able to make it here today. But I think uh, what I want to talk to us about before we get started is kind of your, your relationship to the X-Men. This is a pretty like game-changing uh, moment for them, kind of a, a status quo reset. So I'm just kind of curious what everyone's is everyone's experience is with the X-Men. So we'll just go around again. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, well, I think I started off with the 97 uh, animated series, which was super fun. <laughs> and then shortly after I was introduced to the live actions with uh, Hugh Jackman, with Patrick Stewart, with everybody. Uh, is that, is what? this, is, what? No, huh? I just and it was it was super cool a lot of childhood memories uh wrapped up in that i'll i'll say this uh what i read in this comic book was just so different from everything i've experienced like so far with the x-men so i think that was just and we'll talk more about that later but very different from the experiences i've had in the past so there you go all right my relations to x-men uh X-Men animated, I watched growing up, um, loved, (laughs) loved it. Then I worked at a summer camp and my camp name was Rogue. And uh, yeah, so X-Men's just been a part of my life. Wow. Yeah. Helping me cope through the ups and downs (laughs) (laughs) of the world. Uh, Yeah. And have loved multiple parts of it i have not read a lot of x-men comics though until recently so i cannot claim full x ownership x ownership yeah yeah Yeah. are you a fan of x-men comics i will get to that we're gonna get to that (laughs) (laughs) um this is riley um so my first exposure to x-men stuff was probably when i was really really young um my dad grew up collecting comic books very casually um and the house that i grew up in he had his comics collection like super high up on this high shelf um and i knew that there were like these cool books in there with like all these crazy colors and images and stuff um and it was like a really like rare treat almost that he would like pull a box down and let me kind of like rifle through um I understand he was obviously trying to keep them safe from my like little three-year-old hands um but i remember being like three or four years old and like flipping through books and seeing like the brood and gambit and all these like old 80s comics um i never really like took the time to you know really seriously read them but i have a lot of memories of like hanging out with my dad and we would just kind of be flipping through the books together um so and then you know um animated series was on tv and i was i think like six or seven years old when the first x-men movie came out so then it's very much like you know you you grow up watching the movies and being stoked on these like superhero movies like whoa these are cool you know um so yeah uh i never really seriously read any x-men comics until you know a a few years ago when i read hawksbox for the first time and then Kind of went backwards that's a really a very sentimental story about your dad and comics yeah did you ever try and pull like a sandlot and try to like get the <laughs> comics down yourself and then like take them to show your friends like oh man look this is i don't think so because the the um 
it's hard to describe like what I'm what I'm talking about. Like in the old master bedroom of my childhood home, there was this really high alcove, like way up top that was just kind of for, you know, plants or whatever cute things you want to put up there for decoration purposes. So it was like really high up there. It was probably you know 12 feet off the yeah. ground so i would need like a you need a mutant power to get yep. up there so no and my dad would have absolutely killed me had i done that so do you think your own baby is gonna have that same relationship except you have so many books now that it's gonna be like a whole wall instead of oh, just like man. a tall shelf it's gonna be tricky trying to keep those things safe <laughs> i haven't really thought about it yet but yeah that's gonna have to be something that i put my attention to sometime. yeah cool thanks riley Hey, this is Cameron. So um, I started reading comics with my brother. My older brother read X-Men, and he got me the Transformers and G.I. Joe comics growing up. So really old school stuff. I'm older than all of you. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, the first X-Men comic I remember reading was The uh, the Rise of the Phoenix. Okay. And just the start of that Phoenix series. And when they made it into the movie, it was... Kind of, a little when they bit made it into the movie twice, yeah, you it was disappointing both times. Story twice, yeah. Um, but um, you know, I love the first X Men movie, and I loved the cartoons growing up because they were amazing, and they really kept me going. I haven't been reading comics for a while because I've been teaching and being dad, and um, so it's been really fun to get back into it. Yeah. Um, I know we're gonna get into our thoughts about this, but like he said, this was like a complete one eighty to what. Um, my experience with X-Men had been before. Totally. Um, you know, especially Magneto and, um, you know, other characters that we'll get into later. But it's like, whoa, this is different. <laughs> but it's going to be really cool. Uh, I, this is Cody again. Uh, I, I loved X-Men uh, as, as a kid. I remember, I think my first experience with X-Men was in one of those, like, Halloween catalogs where you could pick your costume. And there was one of Wolverine that I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was not allowed to wear it because he had knives on his hands. And uh, <laughs> uh, very, then I saw the show and the movie and just became a, a pretty pretty much a lifelong X-Men fan. Even when I went in and out of like checking in on comics throughout my like teen and adult life, X-Men was always the one that I would go back to. I have multiple like number one issues from all sorts of different like rebooted lines. Um, whether that was when like Gillen took over or Aaron took over, um, Bendis, uh, X-Men has been a big part of my life and it's been really fun getting to experience the highs and lows of X-Men comics over the past (coughs) two decades, I'd say, um, of, of reading and, and some very controversial stories that I, some of which I absolutely love and will stand by and others that I, there's a reason I have some gaps in my collection, um, and they'll probably stay that way. But this was one where uh, loved Hickman's run on uh, Fantastic Four and Avengers. And so when I saw that he was doing something crazy and cool with X-Men, I knew that I would be picking that up day one. And I think that was what got me back going to the comic store weekly after a pretty, a pretty long hiatus, I'd say, um, and then have not stopped, which is why Leslie and Ethan pay rent. <laughs> so, um, nice. we, we fund we, we, we fund enable. funds the addiction the hobby. Um, hobby 
So what I want to do now, um, thank you guys for sharing those overall thoughts is, or your relationship with X-Men is, is kind of getting into our overall thoughts. This is a big book um, for those just listening. Hopefully you have read this as well. Spoilers ahead. Um, House of X and Powers of Ten are a 12-issue miniseries. Um, kind of more of a maxi series, but it is two series that are one. Um, there are lots of thoughts to be had, and I think this is where our, our roundtable discussion will really kind of open. Uh, but I just kind of want to hear overall thoughts, but I, I would say feel free to jump in and, and, and piggyback or backpack off of whatever others are saying as we go. So um, I have, I've gushed over this enough, even on this own pod, but uh, who wants to start? Who wants to start? Okay, All right, go ahead. Um, so I think on this particular read, I appreciated the book in a way that was different, and maybe that was that this time around we decided to take notes or um, kind of like dwell on certain moments and like one issue per day was also really helpful rather than you know sit with the book on my lap and just read it um, I think you know before this particular read I had really loved this series for a lot of the the artwork and some of the cool moments that show up and stuff but the thing that I kind of like had sink in as I was reading it this time around is just how bold it is in terms of like giving some crazy ideas. Um, I loved the, the first page is like an instant, like, you know, getting like cold water poured on your head that there's this weird helmet and, you know, mutants are kind of like coming out of these weird looking cocoon things. Like what, what is this, you know, from like the first page, you kind of get like thrown into this very weird abstract thing. Um, and I just love how bold this is, you know, like seeing Professor X and Magneto working together versus being the historical enemies. Um, you have moments like Professor X shaking hands with Apocalypse. And it's just all these things that like make a lot of sense in the context of this story, but are just so like, you know, to a long time, like, I've been reading X-Men books since 1975 yeah. kind of person. This book would just be like utterly shocking. Um, and so I appreciate like so much of the ideas that this one is presenting, but also just like its willingness to do all of these things that are just super against the grain of what X-Men comics have historically been, you know? So on that shocking note, and you mentioned this very early on, who is in and who is out on Xavier's helmet? It's tough. I I, I, I don't care for the helmet. I'm sorry. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very Hickman thing, putting things on people's heads. So I'm not. I feel like it's so Gen Z. I I would like to comment on this. Um, I don't, I don't. So just know. all yeah. in all, you're saying not even just the helmet. You're saying Xavier's no, look is Gen Z. Yeah. Speaking as someone who's at least Gen Z adjacent, I, <laughs> I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time I, I getting you it. on. Like, I, I totally yeah, like it. She's with it. Um, wow. So Ethan, you're out on the helmet. I'm not out on it. It's you know what? In the context of this being a Hickman book, I'm fine with it. It, it grew on me, but I have to say it first. It was. was like, no, that's not his look. Um, so you're out on the helmet. Yeah. Yeah, it grew on me, but it was definitely not. I mean, no, well, I would I, prefer to see I, just the bulb. I feel like they like Xavier's not the darling anymore, and so yeah. or like the the wise. 
stage. Well, sure. And that's kind of what, what part of what shocked me, like you were saying. This was a completely different X-Men than right. I grew up with. And I'm like, all right, this is going somewhere, is somewhere, going somewhere else entirely. And um, even just the way uh, Xavier talked and his uh, might have even been in the X-Men series where he he's like, Okay, we've tried to do it this way. I've tried to be gentle and tried to be yep. yeah. normal and a no, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Now it's time to... Now it's Mr. Helmet Guy. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. going to say, I Mr. mean, Helmet, dude. one thing that was most important about this whole read for me was like, and I think I've mentioned this before, seeing the mutants kind of be on top for once, seeing yeah. them be in this position of superiority was so different from the 97 series, from the movies where they're kind of the underdogs, where they're kind of oppressed. Now they have like their own thing going on and they're gods. They view themselves as gods. And we heard that line from Magneto. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who's read this or hasn't read this, it's important to understand <laughs> this is the mutants in their heyday, right? Like they've, they've, made it in a sense but they're also responding to mass genocide yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm just it's it's so different from what we're used to there's obvious parallels to you know the jews and and going through the holocaust yeah and just the way that i mean it's been part of x-men from the beginning and it's just that persecution and with that responding to mass genocide hickman's actually done this before his east of west actually explores an alternate u.s where you do have like the chinese republic of of workers that have now like taken over the western coast and established their own new place um you have natives that are getting their own land you have uh freed black men that are getting their own like kingdom basically in the u.s so it's definitely something that he's toyed with before where it's like oppressed groups creating their own nation and now having a taste of the superiority that was like thrust upon them by hatred um and i feel like so much of this book it's it's setting up that almost like the guidebook of what this would look like like part of it you know cameron we were talking about D before this started but it's like it honestly to me kind of felt like a almost like a lore document for like a D campaign yeah. in a lot of ways where it's like these are the rules and I know, Leslie, when you finished, we were kind of talking because you asked, like, what's next? It's like, well, like, where do you want to start? Like, and anyone could kind of jump off of that. And I think that's just a testament to how kind of crazy this this world that he created in response to mass genocide while they are now in that superior. And I know some people have had an issue with it. I even know talking to some X-Men um, creatives who, who said, like, they actually had an issue because they felt like Hickman changed the metaphor for the first time because no longer were they just hated and feared as an oppressed people group they were now in like the superiority that ethan was talking about um how did you guys i know we're still doing our overview but i I just kind of want that to like flavor the next part of the conversation where it's like did you like that the metaphor changed were you fine with the x-men being in this new status quo but i know people are still sharing also i am team helmet all the way (laughs) i feel like i feel like this is a necessary like jolt of energy into the whole thing like you know and i can't you know i can have this opinion knowing full well that i haven't been reading x-men comics like for 40 years you know and i i don't have this feeling of ownership over something because it's dominated such a long period of my life and stuff that other people may feel but i feel like at a certain point you're gonna run out of ideas in the whole like mutants are hated and feared they're always oppressed you know it's just eventually you're gonna hit the spot where it's just the same old thing over and over you Mm -hmm. know and like you know that's kind of 
everything that I've ever experienced in my life, X-Men related, that's kind of been the narrative. And I know that there's just so much more out there that I've never watched or read or whatever. So, I mean, you know, I know that I have to have the stipulation of like, you know, I don't have this long, long standing opinion about this, but like, it feels like a refreshing take versus like we're just doing another story where they're hated and feared mm. and oppressed and trying their best to like save people who hate them you know and not standing up for themselves like it feels like a necessary like change i guess yeah it's a new flavor and i think what i appreciate is that it didn't come out of nowhere like kind of like it was previously mentioned this came as the result of like a very traumatic very horrible experience for the mo- for the for the mutants, the mutants. <laughs> That's the next T-shirt. The mutants. That's House of Cow. House. Uh, horrible experience for the mutants, where even Professor X finally said, you know, like you mentioned, like no, we're done. It's it's our time yeah. to come out on top. Enough of the oppression. No more Mister Nice Guy. Uh, you've killed off my people. We're going at it alone. You know, they kind of took a Wakandan uh, philosophy when it came to their relation to like the outside world. So, yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's a new flavor, and I appreciate that. And to kind of slide in one more thought, it, it, like, I appreciate the fact that even something like the Cerebro helmet and Xavier's, like, you know, the, the black suit versus the, you know, he usually wears, like, a suit and tie and a chair kind of thing. Like, even down to the character designs are vastly different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's the chair? Is yeah. that a Gen Z <laughs> thing, too? Yeah, yeah, it's a Gen Z. It's a choice? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, I appreciate that even something like a character design was, like, a conscious choice to make this extremely different than everything else. Well, it feels so alien. They feel so out of this world, and I feel like that's super intentional because, like, you read the first issue, and they feel other. Mm -hmm. Like, to to the Fantastic Four, they feel other. To the humans that are listening on, to all the delegates, like, there's definitely a major intention of, like, you don't know if you can trust them. I remember a lot of our notes from that first week, people are like, are they bad? And I remember that was the commentary when this was coming out too, where it's like, who's really Professor Xavier under that helmet? Like what's actually going on in here? And I remember I even thought like when this first came out, like, oh, is this Xavier? Or is this the maker? The other like Hickman, Hickman creation, the evil Reed Richards. Um, Leslie, I feel like you've been wanting to say something. No, I, it's all verbal processing. So um, bear with me, but no, I think in response to that, it, it does ask like, hey, Xavier's not maybe this darling, this, wonderful champion uh, for both humans and mutants alive and other people groups that this series can constantly represent in different ways. Um, But I think the flipping of the narrative and the new flavor of uh, the mutant power represented in this book was almost asking us as the reader like what are you comfortable with Mm -hmm. and like are you questioning like their now sense of power and um them dictating medicine and finding their place on this planet are you not comfortable with that flipping of the script because it is this underrepresented hated group and now that they have power you're like this is wrong or I think it just like begs that question of like are what approach are you going in to viewing 
whether or not like you're okay with the change than that they've had in the past yeah i think that's a great point i think that's that's really part of the challenge of all of this is it does what are you okay with are you okay even from like a comics perspective of your x-men status quo changing but from a societal oppressed like a societal place what are you fine when an oppressed group does get enough power to truly like completely not even flip the script like blow it up and what does that look like yeah I'm reading through um, a few of my old notes as I was reading through, um, and there's a line that I wrote from Powers of Ten, issue two, uh, where I think Magneto says, quote, no room in this world for your dreams and mine, when <laughs> speaking to Xavier, and I think it's a cool, like, Xavier's ideology hasn't worked and neither has Magneto's, but they've been so opposed at each other for so long that it's only by like dreaming about something new that this can all work you know and i feel like not only does that work in story but it's also like a you know we're gonna change what x-men comics are for a while yeah you know um and it seems like that line has a couple of different layers of what it could mean Mm. you know i like it i think everything in this whole new era of x-men is just really bold and different and i think it's cool it's fun it's It's, very cool it's really fun any other just overall thoughts or if not i have a few more like i guess kind of specific well on on that yeah go for it um i don't think xavier has lost his dream because he talks about it throughout the the series and he still has that dream of everything everyone living in harmony and he's got that pollyanna vision of what (laughs) things are going to be um but you know he's seeing reality and magneto and the other x-men that have been oppressed forever now that they finally got their chance to be on top he's like okay i want this but first we need to establish what we are here and then we can um be the example of what life can be out everywhere else if we can make this place work and deal with mutant kind and deal with our issues then we can share with everyone else and then maybe make a better world Cameron I'm, I'm curious you know on that you know because you mentioned it uh, do you feel like Xavier is compromising by having to like work side by side with Magneto do you think I, that's I hard did for it him? first but I'm, I'm like I said just the the first book or the um, the first issue it's like mm. dude they're together this is like yeah. it happened occasionally in back in the day and in the in the cartoon series and everything, but, but seeing them Magneto always like yeah, Magneto would always stab him in the back, and I was expecting that to happen. I kept expecting Magneto to be like, okay, yeah, I'm done with you, and something bad would happen, and it didn't. It didn't. And it's just been like like Magneto's a badass in this this whole series. It's and amazing. I think I, I was looking through my notes and I used that word yeah. like every other sentence when regarding Magneto or Apocalypse or people that you wouldn't pair Charles Xavier with but now right. he's like he, he views them as his mutant brothers right. not as his adversaries and them working together you know the the whole is greater than or the sum is greater than the right the, the needs parts. of the many outweigh yeah. the needs of the few yeah and it's definitely they work well together and things are, are building up nicely hmm. or Xavier's just been actually lawful evil all along <laughs> <laughs> that is that is, another, mean, that that is another opinion for sure. Do you have any more on that, or you're just? Like, you're like, Go for <laughs> I know. It. I mean, I, that's that it. is what I believe. Like, I love Charles Xavier and what he stands for and the unity he stands for. But like, no point in time do I think he is this savior 
for mutants. And this is where I should also note to my <laughs> wife that I have the same Myers Briggs personality profile as Charles Xavier. So do with that. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I just like, I mean, you see, even I think he's manipulative. Like, oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and so does our dog. Um, yeah, I just like, and I, I just have no problem with okay. him being that way. I kind of have to jump in here because yeah. when, when I got um, the marvel app i read issue one of the x-men online and that manipulative nature of xavier comes in right from issue one hmm. when he invites gene to join yeah. the yeah. school and he like just throws her in there with the four guys iceman beast cyclops and um angel angel and they're just all like going gaga over her and she's just like you guys are dumb. Um, and it was just like, it was so fun to see him. Like he knew what was going to happen and knew that she was going to take charge, but he was just playing them off of each other right from the beginning. And so from issue one, the very first issue of this comic, they knew that was what he was. So yeah. you're brilliant right there. Yeah. Well, I think you see that when he is mind wiping sinister in these like breeding pits and getting the DNA and you see that as such like that is an untampered with like scenario where you're like oh shit like, yep. <laughs> like this this guy like has so much other merits that I think we so often champion him and it is not to say that like what he dreams of and certain things he does in like providing a safe haven and uh, bringing mutants together and dreaming of a world where humans and mutants exist in coexistence. But all of that is still, yeah, it, it comes. <laughs> Sorry. It still comes back to like he, I mean, he has his power. To, he's the smartest man in the room. Like, yeah. so, yeah. I, I like that. And I think that's a great segue. I think we've been talking a lot about the smartest man in the room, the coolest man in the room. But I think this series also introduces a woman who is not in the room, um, who is literally in a no place, who I think is probably secretly the most pivotal character in this entire book. Yeah. Um, and talking about like flipping the script, I remember when I first read uh, her her House of X issue, it was it was one of the most mind-blowing like jaw-dropping things i've ever read and of course i am talking about uh miss moira mctaggart moira x herself it's doctor um, doctor 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 moira mctaggart um and i think i think we have a lot to do uh in in our discussion about moira and, and the whole mechanic that is introduced um i love it i am i am as much team moira's life's resetting as i am with xavier's helmet um, but I, I think there's so much on the surface of Magneto and Xavier planning and making this nation, but it is completely built on the back of what this woman has seen. So I would love to open the floor for a little bit and talk about Moira in all aspects, both um, just what we liked, what we didn't like, her ability, what she plays in this philosophically, socially. That's what's on the... That's what's on the quiet council tables for this morning. Go ahead. Um, I think to start with, I think the thing that was most notable for me as I read through Moira's first issue in this, uh, this read through was that 
some of her lives in in order to get to where we are moira had to be like completely radicalized by something you know um whether that was like the life that she spent with apocalypse or the life that she spent um like learning how much she hated charles and didn't want to be like him um i think it is it shows how extreme she has to become in order to help krakoa be what it needs to be um and it you know if she's gonna help guide magneto and xavier to this end goal i think it's notable just how like far and extreme she has to go um and a lot of the things that are very radical about xavier and magneto's like pushing of this new place is because of what she had to do in a lot of the lives that she experienced so i think for me the thing that i noticed the most was you know at a certain point like she joins apocalypse you know which is such a like extreme thing for someone to do you know um so i think that was what stood out to me about her issues this time around like she really had to go to extreme places in order to get where she knew she needed to get to mm. she's kind of a foil i think for <laughs> two mics handed me what treatment um no she is she's kind of a foil i think to xavier in some ways in regards to the amount of sacrifice that is necessary for her to provide value i think in in this storyline and not to say that charles hasn't had to sacrifice but he literally has created a world (laughs) where he can bring anyone back and is not necessarily living a certain type of sacrifice at, at this point in time um so i think that i loved her introduction and the value she adds and the like the foil that she essentially provides in opposition of of what Charles is doing yeah and uh, you know I think what was interesting for me was that each one of her lives kind of pushed the envelope of what she believed like she she truly got to try it every which way she got to try Charles's way Magneto's way Apocalypse's way and it was kind of cool to see her towards the end just be like okay nothing's working what is my purpose here what is you know why is this my mutant ability um yeah just a really cool character and in order to get xavier to where she needs him to be she says i have to break you charles like i have to break that part of Mm -hmm. you or whatever that's like gentle and loving and whatever um it's like that's it's like a really harsh reality of what what they need to happen in order to survive and thrive in the way that they have been well it kind of helped explain why charles is the way he is in this book it really um sets the stage for it so people like me are coming in like this is not my x-men you can be like okay well okay this makes sense now and it justifies it it's a different approach and it's really cool i think what's so cool is you don't even realize how big of a framing device she is for both series until you get to the final final issue and you realize that even the year 100 timeline and the year 1000 timeline are also her like her different lifelines and I think that might be another great, great jumping off point for this is like, we see Moira who has clearly sacrificed all of this, has teamed up with Magneto and Xavier, has been working in the shadows to build this mutant nation. And she still has the thought that they're still going to lose. And so we have that as well, even with the celebration of Krakoa, even with the, I know Ethan, you said it before we started, the uh, 
the Return of the Jedi celebration at the end, the Ewok celebration, the Nub Nub. Um, We are still at a place where they're going to lose, and we've seen them lose drastically in two different timelines. And Moira is warning them. Moira is not even confident in what she's created, even after this giant triumph. Mm -hmm. So I think that leads to a good place of what did you all think of the basically the days of future past that's presented in both of these these books with these alternate timelines i i mean to be honest with you at first i had a hard time understanding it i had a hard time grasping like the higher echelon of ascension and then everything like that it was cool when i realized that the title itself powers of 10 referred to like the you know the eras that it took place I don't know. It, it was it was cool. It was interesting to see like different species are eternally doomed to one like purpose in life. Ethan, are you saying you didn't grasp the levels of dominionhood the first time you read it? It was no. It was so what? weird. I just my brain doesn't work like yours, Cody. It's it's crazy. My I, Gen Z brain. I remember Leslie. Leslie was reading that right before bed, and I remember seeing her turn to that page. And putting the bookmark in and closing the book. <laughs> She's like, not tonight. Not tonight. I think I did the same thing. It was like one in the morning and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I'm not reading this right now. I, this is, I'm sure this is great, but I need to sleep before I read this. Um, no, it was cool. It was cool. I, the only thing I'll say that I had trouble with, I didn't understand Nimrod being like a little Amazon dis- delivery drone. For, oh, in the end? Yeah, yeah. I, cause he's such a foreboding character before that. So I don't know. Strange choice for me, but maybe I just didn't understand it. Anyone else want to? Well, I remember reading the Powers of Ten issues for the first time and, like, knowing full well that they're, like, a part of the story, that the two books are working simultaneously for, you know, for the end goal or whatever. And, you know, you're reading Powers of Ten and you're trying to just grasp all the things that are happening and, okay like this how does this play into anything and just being so enraptured in trying to understand all this stuff that when you turn the page and see like so ends the sixth life of moira being like oh my god okay yeah this whole thing sure like it it was like such an easy an easy like apparent thing yeah. that it, of course it was one of her lives but i was so enraptured but then they like, do that same twist again at the end and even yeah. then it's like oh like i should have seen yeah. it coming it's I like was yeah so enraptured in trying to understand the the minute details of, of dominion the like you know ascension and all of these beings and all the stuff that like when when it gets you you know it's it's like oh my gosh like of course it was you know and yeah. i wish i would have seen that earlier you know so complex with a worthwhile payoff oh yeah for yeah sure. so it yeah no i'm gonna be a little like soapboxy for a minute oh, here we go. <laughs> it's just i um when this first came out i really enjoyed a lot of what it was starting to say about ai and just artificial intelligence and where that was going. But that was like three years ago now, and a lot of just the leaps that have happened in AI have been so bonkers um, that I just, it's it's crazy because part of the whole thought of this is like, with Nimrod, it's not in Sentinel technology. Moira, like in one of her lifelines, she kills all of the, the Trask family members, and Nimrod still exists. And I think there's a quote where it's like, artificial intelligence isn't something that humans create, it's something that they discover, like fire. 
And I just feel like that's been something that's really interesting wow. as AI has like jumped leaps and bounds since this came out. It just, it feels, I don't think we're close to strongholds or dominions, but, but to um, Nimrods. But, yeah, but to <laughs> Nimrods, um, we're getting close. So I, I really appreciate the future stuff. I also love the character design of Rasputin and Zorn a lot. Yeah. Rasputin, Rasputin is uh, a fan favorite of me. So, yeah. Cody, have you been have you been building a Nimrod secretly this whole secretly. Is that what you're trying to say here? You're You haven't seen it? Yeah. It's, oh, it's <laughs> in the garage. Yeah, I'll the oh, garage. I'll have to look at it. Yeah. I loved the This is off topic. I don't oh, know what are we talking going. about no, right no. now. Yeah. I loved how culty the Reapers are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the babies. Oh, and just their introduction yeah. to Krakoa after oh, being reborn. Yeah. yeah. Um and I also liked the how naive Cypher comes across. No. He's just like, sure, Charles. Like, let me boy. talk to this tree. Sweet Cypher. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> it's a like, little Doug. Doug I'm Ramsey. like, ooh. Yeah. yeah. But it worked, that worked for me. I, um, okay. I, I want to go on a very Cody-style soapbox for just a minute here and talk about uh, fantasy iconography in the future. Seeing like such a futuristic world have elements of like fantasy lore and myths and legends and it being like okay has humans have progressed our understanding of life has regressed back to like the medieval ages when it talks about the tower uh and and sinister i just think it was cool to see yeah a very culty mindset thousands of years in the future be like the norm you know that was really thoughtful ethan that was a good one actually yeah no, I love that. Good <laughs> job. yeah wow good job intern uh, to talk about thank you to, to speak on what Leslie brought up with the the rebirth and like how the resurrection process and like the the whole culty atmosphere or whatever I really like that it makes you feel weird yeah as you read right? it. Yeah. like I love it so much that like on one hand you're like hell yeah mutants let's go like they're back and stuff but also like it feels really morally gray and yeah. it's like <laughs> i'm like i'm rooting for this but also like i feel really weird about it like <laughs> i don't know like like elementary school me would have been watching this on tv and changed the channel when mom walked in yeah. probably and be <laughs> yeah. like what are you watching yeah yeah I, yeah, I love it. It feels it, it, it feels a little bit wrong. Like, ooh, I don't know. This is it's super culty feeling, but like I'm also really into it. Like, I don't know. I really well, love it. They kill off all your favorite characters, right? They all die, and then because you don't know they're gonna come back when they die, and you're like, you killed Cyclops, you killed Jean Grey, you killed Beast, you killed all of these amazing people, and then oh no, it's fine. They just yeah, death not being an issue for yes, mutants is just so like if you think about it, any one of them could like eat a bad blueberry or something yeah. and come back five minutes later. Yeah, um, <laughs> the old blueberry. Yeah, this speaks into my irrational fear of eating a bad fruit. Um, I need to I need to talk to my therapist. What I really like about this is that it found a creative way to do three of the most common comic book tropes, which are bringing back dead characters, rebooting timelines, and having like far apocalyptic futures in a way that I don't think I've seen done before, all in one book. Um, the X-Men have always come back from the dead. Jean Grey has died about five times, yeah. um, and now they found a way to make it cool and interesting and actually work. Uh, the timelines are always getting rebooted, 
And so this is a cool way with Moira able to do that. And then her lifelines were the futures versus it just being some alternative future, which I hope those never come to play during the Krakoan era. Stay tuned for Riley and I talking about that probably <laughs> in a week or so. But um, awesome. I, I want to start to start to wrap this up so we don't go too, too long. But I would love to hear uh, in a category that we call. So let's do do like a real quick rapid fire. Let's call this one favorite moments. A favorite moment of this book. I'll, I'll go because it radiant with open arms from hawks issue four or something for those of us who don't have that script memorized what is going on so they the x-men team is up near the sun on the mother mold facility and they're trying to take it out and they realize that there's no way that they do it unless nightcrawler and wolverine sacrifice themselves to take out the last pylon or whatever it is um and they have a long-standing like relationship best friends kind of thing um like a, a very deep mutual respect for each other and logan asks uh nightcrawler like what do you think will be waiting for me you know whatever um and as they you know teleport out to get incinerated by the sun you know uh nightcrawler says something like you know when you when you awake from this earthly slumber uh, look for me. I will be waiting for you, radiant with open arms. And then they instantly get incinerated by the sun. It's it's just a really awesome, like, dude. You know, at yeah. that point when Some you're reading, it, you don't know that they're gonna get resurrected. You know, so when you're reading that, like, it's a really beautiful, like, the dialogue I find really beautiful, but also just the fact that it's like this really like difficult, like are these two characters about to die in this, the fourth issue of this series or something, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I reread that those two pages like a trillion times, which is why I have it memorized. Love it. I'm favorite, favorite moment. Riley, that was my favorite moment. So thank you for, you know, I know. (laughs) You don't. (laughs) Um, Okay. I, I don't know the issue, and I don't have the script memorized, so I'm sorry. Cody will be able to tell you. Yeah, don't worry about it. I know. Uh, it is when, I think it's Moira and Wolverine are discovered in, like, the futuristic timeline. Has pretty much, like, mutant zoo animals. Uh, ah. Yeah. That was cool because, you know, that whole timeline was so foreign to us. That's the last issue. That is was that... a 10, issue 6. Issue 6. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, what page number, Cody? Yeah. <laughs> what, can you tell me what panel and what... 24 panel three. Um. It was just cool because it was such a like foreign timeline to be in. And then all of a sudden we see these very familiar faces, familiar characters. And it kind of confirmed like, okay, even after all this mutant kind is still doomed. And that is a really tough thing to grapple with. So for me, that was just like a favorite, like, Oh man, this, this sucks for them. You know, I I was going to say that's, that was my favorite oh, moment yeah no I, I loved Moira getting stabbed by Wolverine because I was like just kill her the whole time <laughs> and then and then it happened but it was like poetic at the same time and then uh no I also loved how fabulous Sinister was <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, so I loved that issue again. yeah I was like oh this is not what I was expecting and this is coming from like bedtime stories Cody 
telling me what's happening in X-Men while I fall asleep, while I get ready and do my hair in the morning on walks while we walk the dog. I've and a lot. yeah, it's but weird. never was it described in the <laughs> way that I uh, experienced. So that he's, was he's a Tasha Oh, and then and the killing of himself, the clones of himself, and all of that. So I I did I just was I felt like I was along for a fantastical ride, and it was such like a break from the heaviness and the headiness of so many of the other <laughs> issues in this book that that was like all right let's let's inject some more fantasy back into this so Uh, well when i read this i i didn't do the assignment right like i sat and read it like in two days um and i didn't take notes so are you a um, teacher yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're a crammer person Uh, no i was just enjoying it and so i would i was reading it and i'm like okay um and I, I, it's like, I look over at my watch and it's two in the morning. I better put this down and go to sleep. And so then I read the rest of it the next night. So, and it was over Christmas break. So right after the Dominion fine. page. That's yeah. what he <laughs> closed um, it. But I, I do remember that I both loved and hated the fact that they killed all the original X-Men. Yeah. And I'm like, bold. This is amazing. <laughs> and then they brought them all back and I was a little bit disappointed. I was happy, but I was disappointed. I'm like, it could have gone somewhere really different and really cool yeah. if they had just let them die and let, you know, X-32 take over for yeah. the Wolverine or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, just let the new mutants take over or something. Hmm. Um, but um, I was really shooken by the fact that they killed all my favorites. Um, but then they brought them all back. And it's like, yeah, cool. I kind of knew they were going to do it, but it was like, um, and yes, I laughed out loud at, at Sinister every time. And yeah. just all the different personalities that came out in those different clones. And it was just such a cool way to present things. Mm-hmm. And then the way he interacts with everyone, getting on to stuff we're reading later. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool to see him take a new role than he's yeah. had in the past. A dangerous leadership role, yeah, one might say. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of fun, and it reveals a lot of cool stuff for the future. Um, but this was a great reintroduction to X-Men, and just like, okay, this is very different than the 90s cartoons, or even the um, you know the comic books from that era, and very different than the movies. Um, and I love the first two. The other movies, movies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other movies kind of <laughs> didn't hit as well for me. Um, you know, you can't make Deadpool mute personally. <laughs> um, I'm going off. Yeah, topic. no, you're good. You're good. But, I yeah yeah. My my favorite moments. I the ones that you guys all mentioned are, are way up there for me too. Uh, but I've been a Cyclops fan forever, and so one of my favorite moments is when Magneto and Xavier are giving him the rundown of the orchestration and how it's a one way trip and the sun, and they just ask him. Cyclops asks like, like, can it be done? And He's like, then then it will be done. And that's just how it ends on. And then he yeah. assembles the most like badass team ever. And then they go get wiped out. It's super cool. But also symbolizes his blind following of Xavier. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That is Fatal not true. <laughs> Leslie, we have some other books to catch well, up on. Follow us on our next podcast where Leslie and I save our marriage through reading X-Men <laughs> comics. Since we're talking about things that we loved about this, I want to mention one more thing before we move on to yeah. a new another topic, and that's just the art. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the story is incredible, you know, and we can talk for another hour about the story, but like, I want to just take a moment and talk about the art because this of everything that I've read X-Men or not, like the art in this book, whether it's Pepe Larraz or RB Silva, like it's, it's beautiful. It's so it's beautiful. So, so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I want to highlight a particular panel, like everything about this book. I love it. But like, there is one panel that particularly blew my mind really hard. And that is, there's a moment when the X-Men team is up on the station and the mutants on Krakoa are like uniting together in order to communicate. And Jean with Gray's the team. face is water. And Jean Gray's face appears in the water, and it's just so amazing. Yeah. Like that was to cool. have like you can see Jean's like emotions through like water. Yeah. And, like I don't know anything about like drawing or artistry in that regard, but it like it blows my mind that an artist can use something fluid like that to show a character's emotions. You know, it like totally, it totally just like blows my mind. And then the colors are incredible. And the celebration scenes toward the end with the fireworks and the colors, it's just, it's like a feast for the eyes on top of just being an insane story. What I love with those final celebration too, is that they give each artist a chance to do it. You know what I mean? Because they repeat the same panels almost beat for beat in yeah. powers as they did in house. And so getting to see both of them like show off um, everyone one last time, it's almost like characters taking a bow, like at the end of a play. I thought that was really cool getting to see that. Yeah. Um, what I kind of want to do on this, we did favorite moments. Real quick, go around just so we don't go over an hour. Um, we called it earlier when we were talking about our outline as an MVP character and then an over it character idea is what was also thrown out. So this does not have to be a hero. This can just be someone that you really liked. Um, I'll, I'll start. My MVP character is a tie between two of my favorite new, like new age X-Men characters is Moira and Omega Sentinel who doesn't get a whole lot to do, but I love her so much. And I just think she is absolutely terrifying. So Omega Sentinel is high on my list. And Leslie's giving me a look like, really? Um, <laughs> but those are mine. Um, over it, I am I am really over the, uh, the Fantastic Four in this issue. <laughs> I, I really thought that was a great way of Hickman saying, I'm moving on to other things. I'm leaving them in the past. And Cyclops is a total dick to them, but kind of get it. So mazel tov on your wedding bin, but I'm over the Fantastic Four with this issue. This is hard. I, uh, MVP character. I'm, I mean, I'm probably going to go... <laughs> I'm probably going to go Wolverine just because I feel like we got to see some different sides of him uh, in regards to his morality and in regards to like his uncomfortable nature relating to Krakoa and this kind of new mutant era over it. I was so in love with Nimrod when he was the big bulky, you know, beefy boy. yeah, beefy yeah. boy. Uh, Amazon delivery drone Nimrod was not my favorite. <laughs> the little like i mean it was like it was like an evil alexa for me yeah. <laughs> and i just it was cool but i was over it so leslie oh i'm a moira fan <laughs> love her <laughs> i also really liked rasputin um and i also really liked nightcrawler 
And then I am over Orcus Sentinels and Nimrod. I'm just tired of it. I know that they are, like, I would rather focus on, like, this distant future, these other beings, but I'm... Are you are you over the Sentinels because I purchased a giant three-foot Sentinel without you knowing, <laughs> and it sits on a chair in our loft? Yeah, it has its own chair. Uh, no, no. I've let, I just over, like, I feel like it's been, we've seen it, and it's... Like since the '90s X-Men, yeah. <laughs> in the first episode, like I, uh, Do yeah. Do they still talk with that '90s cartoon <laughs> voice in your mind? Maybe that might be. Jubilation, it. Lee, stand <laughs> down. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm just like, I think I'm over all of that. Yeah. Like it just, it just seems unnecessary. You're weaving in so many stories, but like that one is like you could have cut it, and like you, you would be okay. Um, I, I also want to highlight Nimrod as I think, uh, I didn't know a thing about Nimrod, you know, until this story showed up. So, um, the, the version of Nimrod that stands out in my mind is when you see his like big form, um, in the powers of 10 issues and he's like childlike. Um, so you kind of like laugh at this thing that is like the X-Men's ultimate doom, you know? But, like, I found that, like, because he was so childlike, it made him almost, like, unpredictable. And, like, that makes him even scarier for me. Like, when he um, has their skull and is, like, making it talk afterwards. Like, yeah, and, like, right, be, yeah. because <laughs> he's so, like, childlike with his, like, I don't know, to, to use, to make a pun, like, his sinister qualities. Like, I found that the childlike nature that he's got in some of those issues make him even more terrifying because you just don't know what he's going to do. Because one minute he's playing with a skull and then the next minute he's winning a fist fight with Apocalypse. Yeah. You know, it's like, I really, like, I didn't know anything about this weird purple pink thing and he ends up being as terrifying as he needed to be for me. Yeah. And so I, I love the childlike nature that he's got. I think it works super well. Cool. Um, the the over it thing... Um, as much as like I love these 12 issues so dearly some of the like the ascension stuff with the in the, the librarians and, and stuff like at the end of it like knowing knowing what happens in the next like three years of X-Men stuff you know like ultimately some of that stuff didn't become ultra consequential at least not yet and so you know chewing through some of the really difficult stuff in the powers of 10 issues it's like you know this is cool but like where's this going like i i'm ready to kind of get to the to the end game of this this issue you know really did you not did you not read 10 lives 10 deaths of wolverine it all comes back it ended with inferno readers Cameron, it, it, it ended with you? inferno um i think my mvps <laughs> are um charles and Magneto. i think just seeing that partnership and that brothership blossom in this series was really cool um and you know just the og x-men going off and dying is also really cool um and coming back to life i um sorry i think i'm still over the helmet looking at it again. <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm just even more over it it's poetic it yeah i'm done guys this was cameron's last appearance <laughs> mortal x friends <laughs> No, it's good. I mean, it's a really cool book, and I've really enjoyed being able to read it and just 
you know, read your comments and your notes on it as we've gone through it and just take different insights and I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. Ethan, you say you want to wrap this up? Yeah, well, I just, I, you know, relating this to our personal lives and stuff like that, uh, I think X-Men has always been about the relationship between teacher and student. I have been super privileged. Uh, I have been super privileged over the past like nine, ten months to be able to work with elementary age kids. And as cheesy as this sounds, X Men has taught me to like realize the special abilities and different yeah, like attributes sure. of each student. So for all of you who have been working in education for much longer than I have, how has X Men influenced your relationship with students, with the job in general, with with teaching? Go. <laughs> Educational philosophy now. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's a really good question. No. Considering that we're all like in education in some I, uh, capacity. I really relate to Apocalypse. <laughs> I find four students, make them my horsemen, and then just the rest fall into line. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the reasons why I've always enjoyed um, the Cyclops xavier relationship is like flawed as it is is just the uh the power and authority that you can give a student to like to help out and just kind of do their do their part and like rise to the challenge and then getting to see them um impact the next generation i think with x-men in general like it is generational and because of marvel publishing mandates it does always focus on like the same people but there's like there's multiple generations of x-men and they're all influenced by the ones that came before like xavier starts it but then cyclops and gene they lead the next class of like jubilee and then jubilee leads the next class and so now we're kind of on really like generation five uh with x-men characters but i really like that idea of the teachers that you have in fact the teachers that someone else has and someone else has so i guess that's what i that's what i borrow from it Leslie. Riley. Um, I this is this is a really good question, but yeah, I don't, it shouldn't I have don't, been asked with an hour in. I don't know, like, I guess the the answer that I keep coming back to is like so much of so much of what I do is based on the students' connection to each other and the students' connection with me. Um, if if my students don't know each other or love each other or have a connection with me then you know, I'm a music teacher the the music that we make is not going to be as good you know like it, it is like an intangible thing but it's a certainty that without the connection to each other it will not be as good as meaningful as um, as beautiful as it could be so I guess I take a lot of like um, you know, they're, they're trying to build a society where everyone can thrive and like everyone matters and they can like live and be productive and happy and all those things. And like, I guess I, I take the idea of like, we're all connected sort of thing as being like a really important thing that I already try to do, but I guess this just kind of really helps accentuate it. Nice. Riley and I are both music teachers, so, and we have similar philosophies there as far as making sure that our classrooms and our students feel like family. And, you know, that's something that the X Men have done all along. 
you know, Charles has been the father figure in grooming these kids who have been shunned and pushed aside. And that's something we find in the arts a lot. You know, kids come in and they're like, they don't fit in anywhere else. And, but in the choir room, they can shine. Mm-hmm. Or on stage, they can shine. Um, in, um, in the band, they can be, be featured and be, show something that they can't do elsewhere. And um, being able to share that with future generations is awesome. And, you know, being able to watch, I mean, I have a former student who is now teaching in our district, which is crazy to me. Um, and just seeing him succeed and build up his, um, his own program is pretty awesome. And, you know, it's kind of what Xavier is probably thinking too as these future generations go through. Um, so, yeah. Plus, I'll only answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I th- I think you nailed it. On I think um, I think X Men has always represented a people group uh, of whatever is going on in the times, and I think that its story won't expire because of that. That it always um, has the ability to connect with. Uh, different groups of people and different populations and uh, reflect that in a completely fantastical world. So I think in regards to teaching, like seeing that as an outlet, an avenue, and a resource for students, it will always be topical in that way. Yeah. Well, and this is pretty good. This is solid. Um, thank you guys for reading along with us. I know right now, if you are listening to this, as we post it this week, we are finishing up our read on uh, X-Men, issues 1 through 12 by Hickman, uh, Cable issues 1 through 4, and Hellions issues 1 through 4, as we prepare for the next big crossover event, uh, Ten of Swords, Ten of Swords, X of Swords, um, a big crossover, the first one of the Krakoan Age. And I think that might be the next time we have like a big big round table but that is a that is a beefy book um that is 24 chapters um that we'll we'll talk about as we go um riley any closing closing thought no read with us um the whole idea with this has just been like you know these books are still ongoing lots of cool things happening with x books so if you've never read this stuff like we're reading it together as part of a little like online book club so yeah i mean come read with us so check us out we will be back soon thank you for listening to immortal x friends uh, follow us on social media and read comics read comics bye bye bye, bye. see ya, see ya.